Hello, Ruffians! Welcome to Playing Rough, the gaming podcast that combines humor, tryharding, and still having friends. I'm your host, John Mincer, and with me, as always, is... David Conrad. Hey, David. Hey, John. What's going on this week? Uh, just stuff. Life life is busy. Life's always busy. Um, oh. We've got... We're getting prepped for a week-long trip this next week. Caitlin's got a work conference out in uh, Virginia near D.C., and so I will be going with her with Charlotte since it's such a longer tri- like, trip this time. Sure. Um, so just getting ready for that and doing work and, you know, fun stuff. Yeah. 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 I, uh, <laughs> I think I will be going to a conference soon, so I'll keep you up to date on that, but it should be fun. Um, Always good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Gosh. Uh, it, it has. It's been hectic. Um keeping keeping busy for sure um not not much to say about that though i don't think <laughs> the the festival that i volunteer on is going to operate for another year we received our funding for the year so that's exciting nice yeah well, that's so, always good it, like that's the worst period where it's like we know that we should get this but we don't know for sure that we will <laughs> yeah well and um so michigan is split right now uh I think uh, Republicans just barely control the legislature, and we have a Democratic governor, and so the budget got held up. And oh, in the budget time. was our MCACA funding, so that was Yay! cool. <laughs> um, yes, anyhow, that is up and running, and we can turn the direction uh, of our conversation toward the... You know, the more fun and relaxing. <laughs> the um, stuff that y'all are here for. Yeah, exactly. We're... <laughs> We're several seconds into the podcast and still have not talked about games. Uh, <laughs> what have you had a chance to play this week? Uh, this week has been quiet. Uh, didn't get much of a chance to do anything. I uh, spent a lot of time over the weekend just like getting to you know spending time with Caitlin and uh, the baby, and we went and like did a few things at other people's houses. But there just wasn't a lot of time for gaming, so it's mainly just been you know my usual Pokemon going. I've got a tournament tomorrow. That, no, not tomorrow. It's on Saturday. Um, I'm in the middle of one remote. I've got another remote set to kick off the same day as that tournament. Uh, and then potentially a third remote that'll be just like eight peoples. But that should be fun. Wow, yeah. That's uh, keeping the, the tournament um, schedule stacked there. That's great. What can I say? Like, it, it's, you know me. A, I can't say no and B, I love to compete. So I end up <laughs> with all over the place. Hey, well, best of luck in that. Uh, what about you what you get up to oh well mine's been sort of busy not for very long like i haven't been able to play games much but i have been doing a lot of different stuff um so this week i uh i'm sort of winding down the outer worlds um great game really enjoyed my first playthrough really enjoying um the end of my second playthrough here and um it's a yeah it's just been a lot of fun um you know it's my sort of narrative game uh, but I thought it might be time for something a little bit different, um, a little less like narratively robust. Um, so I've been playing the uh, the roguelike, um, I guess you could say, uh, uh, Nuclear Throne. Um, it's sort of like a bullet hell roguelike kind of thing. Um, roguelite, for sure, not really a complete roguelike. Um, you complete uh, bullet hell levels. As you do that, you... Um, unlock characters and eventually uh like modifiers and stuff to the characters uh, and as you go through the levels you unlock mutations and these give you bonuses 
uh, and uh, mostly. And the goal is to get to this thing called the nuclear throne and defeat it. Well, I've gotten to the throne once. I did not defeat it, uh, mostly because I walked into my own explosions twice, uh, which was very dumb of me. I was... <laughs> I didn't realize that it is pretty challenging to get there. Um, it's very random. Uh, the weapons that you get are sort of like gated by level. So you're never going to get the best weapons in the game early on. But you also have to keep in mind that like a minigun, for example, is very powerful, but it also burns through your ammo really quick. And you do have an ammo cap. It's not especially high. So um, figuring out how to set up your build so you have enough health and uh, ammo coming in to be able to defeat the enemies is a, a big part of the game. And, and I'm enjoying it from that perspective. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll talk about it more here in a little bit. Uh, I've been playing a little bit of Crusader Kings 2. Uh, I want to get some of the Bronze Man achievements. The, it's a new addition to the game uh, where the people at Paradox suggest a character for you to play and like a time period um, and several goals. And if you achieve those goals, you get what used to just be bragging rights points, but they can now unlock... Um, cosmetics in the upcoming crusader kings 3 so i thought it might be fun to uh, do some of those you know you never know if they'll come around again um (laughs) and finally but gotta feed that achiever addiction i know i'm so especially in games like that especially (laughs) in games where it's like oh all i have to do is you know conquer india as a viking okay sure i'll figure that out Uh, (laughs) i have this one game where uh one of the sort of very rare things that can happen to you in Crusader Kings is uh, immortality. Uh, if you leave the supernatural events on, you can become immortal. Huh. And if you do that, it opens up a whole bunch of other achievements that are otherwise hard to get. You know, uh, conquer a big space with one character, do a bunch of things with one character, uh, because if they're immortal, right, like, you can do those things. Um, and so I have done quite a bit of that stuff, and there's a couple more that I want to do, so I think I'm going to go back to that save. But um, because it's an Iron Man save, I don't want to mess it up, and I can't remember how I left things. So <laughs> That's always the worst. Yeah. I haven't done it yet. <clears throat> anyway, the last thing I've been doing, certainly not least, is um, doing a lot of uh, tabletop gaming, um, tabletop RPG gaming prep and play. Uh, we are on our second-to-last uh, session of Call of Cthulhu. The characters have um, sealed away one of the Elder Gods, Unfortunately, it was the one that was offering them help for the other gods. So um, if you're all listening, oops, guys, <laughs> um, I don't think you are. So don't worry about that. But um, it uh, it's going to be an interesting play. They uh, they did some stuff that I did not expect. Uh, I think it's important, even in a game that has a mystery at the center of it, that you don't prepare too much. Um, and I'm glad I didn't because they did things like tried to convince uh, the city of Sarnath which is a lore-important city, um, very much like an early human city, very much opposed to the Elder Gods. Uh, they tried to convince them that they were cultists of Cthulhu and they wanted in, and not realizing that Sarnath would not let in cultists of Cthulhu. Um, <laughs> and so one of the characters ended up getting killed by a spear. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, so this character was like, well, you know, am I out? And I was like, no, well, hang on. Uh, one of the other characters had like a resurrection potion, essentially. <laughs> and was able to use that but uh it's getting wild um i don't know how they're going to take down the other two gods they need to seal away um i took inspiration for this campaign from the game El- uh, eternal darkness where t- in order to get the golden ending you have to use one god to seal away another and then in um a different timeline take the sealed away god and use it to seal away a third god 
uh, in the last timeline, use that third god and use it to seal away the first one. Um, so if you can do that through three timelines, then uh, the this other sort of elder god who has a soft spot for humanity ends up um, winning the cosmic war, I guess you could say. Right. Uh, so it's it's pretty neat. Um, I have taken that inspiration. There are three gods fighting over Earth, um, one of whom is sort of a weakling and was the one who was helping the, the characters on a little bit, but they never trusted this one, which is probably <laughs> a good idea. Uh, but I didn't realize they God. would betray it first. <laughs> so that was neat. Um, we'll see where it goes. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, after that, we're preparing for a Blades in the Dark game. I'm really looking forward to this crew of smugglers. Um, we have 12 people interested in this game, which is way too many for a Forged in the Dark game. Uh, That's way too uh, many for basically any tabletop RPG. So we're going to try to come up with some like ground rules that'll make this go a little smoother. We could potentially... Uh, have two GMs and run two scores and then bring everybody back at the end. We'll see how it like, goes. It feels like the kind of thing you, that almost it should be split into three groups. Yeah, well, well, yes, that's right. Four, yeah, three groups of four would be awesome. Uh, but anyway, I'm not sure exactly how we're going to tackle this, but we'll give it a shot. Um, it's it's looking like it'll be a good time. So uh, I'm, I've been writing characters for Blades um, and sort of like situations that the characters might find themselves in. But... Uh, with Blades in the Dark, it's really an improv game. You cannot write an overarching narrative. So uh, I've been forced to um, sort of do the, like, light prep that is not really my strong suit. Strong suit. <laughs> the kind of thing that is not what you usually do. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But it's looking forward... Uh, it's looking like it's going to be a, a really good time. So uh, I've got a couple people who are old veterans of this. I have a couple new people playing. Um, it should be a, a, a very good time. That's awesome. That's what I've been up to. All right. So let's um let's turn to our topic for the night. Uh, today I have brought um a topic from Nuclear Throne. So I, I described Nuclear Throne earlier. Bullet hell shooter. Um, whole bunch of characters. And uh, you die pretty quick. So one of the interesting things is main characters, uh, most of the characters, if they don't start with a health bonus, begin with eight hit points. Okay, I thought eight hit points isn't too bad. But if you get hit by one bullet, it takes away five of those. Okay. (laughs) um, Individual hit points are for things like accidentally running into enemies, stuff like that. Um, Getting hit by their actual weapons is pretty bad. Um, So in reality, you have somewhere between like two and four four hit points, I guess, uh, depending on how you want to sort of roll with it. So uh, what that means is that even when you get good at levels, you, there's like an, you know, I would say 10 to 20% chance that you'll die on them. Oh, <laughs> um, it's one of those things where if you let your guard down for a second, you just get obliterated. Totally. It's a bullet hell game. Um, there, you have to decide, you know, am I going to play defensive? Am I going to play like run through this crowd of enemies and kill off as many as I can? Am I going to go running gun with big guns? Am I going to use... Uh, kiting um all sorts of tactics go into this game and it's it's been a lot of fun I'm, I'm really enjoying it although it also is doing that thing where when i lose late in the run i, I get frustrated uh, you know yeah, i played a lot of the further you make it into a roguelike when you die the harder it is to start up right away again it's true you know and i played a lot of binding of isaac so like i'm kind of good at this i know like some tactics um but there's a lot for me yet to learn so um, what I wanted to talk about tonight is when 
you are playing a game where you're supposed to die a lot. So that's mostly roguelikes and rogue lights. Um, how do... Uh, so first of all, what are the best of those games that you've played? And second of all, how do they make those early levels fun for you to keep coming back to over and over again? Mm-hmm. Um, Nuclear Throne, I'll, I'll briefly start out with Nuclear Throne and how it does it. Um, it, it only throws three enemy types at you uh, in the early game. And the first boss is pretty straightforward. You can defeat them with defensive tactics. Uh, you can rush them a little bit if you're careful. Um, and I think that it makes it fun by giving you a broad enough spread of early game weapons. You can try out a bunch of different tactics or in that first uh, three-level section before the game gets serious. So mm-hmm. you can see, like, you know, okay, I need some practice on my aim. I'm going to aim really well this time, or... I need some practice uh, kiting enemies, running away from, uh, you know, kind of getting into danger and then getting myself out of danger. Um, I can practice all those things in this uh, three-level section without being in so much danger that I'm expecting to die. And, like, you will sometimes. Even in the early levels, you'll still die. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, I think that that's a nice way of sort of giving yourself the opportunity to, like, practice up and do some tutorial-y levels. Um, that aren't really tutorials uh, while you try to get back into the serious play. And uh, I like that. I think that that's a really nice way to make the early game like fun. Um, by counterpoint, a game that I really love uh, was criticized a lot because if you die too much, you end up playing the same narrative-heavy sections over and over and over again, and that was Sunless Sea. Uh, Sunless Sea is intentionally a slow play- slow-paced game, but it also has roguelike elements, uh, insofar as the character is supposed to die, your early characters, you run out of money, you starve, you uh, go too far when you're exploring. That's supposed to be the theme of the game, is um, trying something and failing and using that knowledge next time to get a little further. And uh, that's a cool idea, but combining that with slow paced often means that people get frustrated. And a lot of folks complain that I'm reading the same story on these side quests over and over and over again. I'm mm-hmm. reading this text-heavy game, the same thing over and over and over. Why would I want to play these same stories when I've almost memorized them, you know? And right. uh, I, I hear that. I, I really love the game. I think the narratives are wonderful. But yeah, you can only hear the same story so many times before you get tired of it, right? Yeah, and it's true, especially when like there's not a significant reason to go back through. Mm-hmm. Right. It's interesting because there is something to be said for, like, how do you front load a game, right? Because, like, one thing I was thinking about as you were talking about, like, games where you're supposed to die a lot is, like, really hard platformers, right? Sure. And one thing I think is interesting is there's kind of two ways to really design, I feel like, a platforming level. Like, if you look at something like Mario Maker, where one is that, you know, it starts off relatively easy and it scales up to the end of the level, right? Mm-hmm. But the problem with that is if it's a long level and there's not a lot of checkpoints, then you could be doing the easy stuff you already know how to do a bunch of times over and over just for a shot at the hard trick at the end. Right. The, the thing that you need to practice becomes the thing it's hard to practice. Right. And so another thing that you'll see is a lot of times um, levels where you know it's going to be hard, these like kind of Kaizo Mario levels, they'll put the hardest trick like very close to the beginning. Mm-hmm. So that once you've gotten it, 
like the rest of the level isn't as difficult. It's still hard. Like, you know, you're still talking shell jumps, you're still talking invisible Kaizo blocks, etc. But like they might put, you know, the double shell jump uh over a really tight spike move right in, like near the beginning or maybe a couple tricks in so that you can pr- get to practicing that faster. Yeah. Um you know, games that aren't exactly roguelikes, I know, uh, often will put the checkpoint in a place that is close to the difficult um, tricks. Uh, Hollow Knight did a really good job of this. Uh, if you were going to have to do a heavy platforming section or a several enemy gauntlet sort of thing, um, the checkpoint was usually nearby and you could then just rush over there. And mm-hmm. some, of the, some of the most irritating parts in the game were the parts where it was like a little too far away. Um, so you ended up you know dashing through two screens and then okay finally i could fight this thing Uh, i will give game designers credit they've gotten a lot better at like auto save and save point placement over the years absolutely yeah (laughs) um and then games like super meat boy right where they tend to be extremely short levels because it's sort of a puzzle with a uh platforming component right Um, you have to figure out like what is the way i can do this and often that means dying a few times before you can... <laughs> I think you meant a few hundred. <laughs> a lot, a lot, a lot of times before you can piece it all together and also be able to do it. Uh, it, it so it's interesting. And I think, like, uh, like roguelikes are super interesting to talk about that because typically, like you said, the first levels, like, you, you can't have them be too long. Because if you're stuck in those early levels that are easier for too long, it gets frustrating. But if they're like just the right amount of length, it, it's like you said, it gives you that opportunity to practice and get better. I think that Binding of Isaac did this really well too, where the levels got, get longer the more that you play. The enemies get harder the more that you play. So those first few levels, you can just blow through them really, really quickly once you know how to hunt for secret walls, like where the different kind of placements could be uh, and what kind of bosses you might see in that first world. Right. Um, You know, one game that I really like and I've talked about very positively on this uh, podcast before, but that does it kind of poorly is um, Dungeons of Dreadmore um, by the now defunct Gaslamp Games. Um, So Dungeons of Dreadmore is a lot of fun. It's sort of a light, um, humorous, dungeon crawl kind of game where you the the real fun is in making a character with unique uh characteristics you pick seven skills early on in the game you can sort of cluster them around rogue skills mage skills and warrior skills you can you know mix and match you can try for you know two two uh, and three you can do all sorts of different options uh but in the end having various skills that sort of lend themselves toward different play styles is the way that the game is played um unfortunately the first level of the game is the longest and i think the idea here was if you pick a collection of skills that's really bad you can figure that out in the first level and just like die and start over right um but what it means is that you end up playing this first level a lot um and it can get a little bit tedious and um, actually i bought the expansion that gives five extra levels which means the whole dungeon is 15 levels deep and 15 levels is just a little too much for a roguelike where you're supposed to die a lot. Um, <laughs> by the time you get down to like level 12 or 13, uh, two or three missed traps can kill you. Um, and there's a lot of stuff. Like it's a, uh, a procedurally generated dungeon, so um, that can easily happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember one time I was playing a game where no monster seemed to be able to kill me because I had so much defense. And I stepped on a single... Uh, trap that bypassed defense and it killed me in one hit 
And oh my I was like, god! I'm on level 13. I was gonna win this, you know. Like it was right. So actually, I've actually never finished that game completely. I've never defeated Dreadmar, um, because I wanted Ooh. to win on. I wanted to win on permadeath, and I've uh, gotten to level 13, 14, and just choked or stepped on something wrong or you know been surprised. Um, it's rough. Oh, that's awful. That's brutal. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I think that the early levels either have to be easy and that you can sort of burn right through them. They have to set you up for success in some possible ways. You know, uh, Binding of Isaac did do this really well. I think you got, like, three or four item rooms by the time you were through the easy levels. Mm-hmm. So you had the opportunity to see, like, is this run going to be fun for me? Right, um, which which leads to really interesting speedrunning strategies. Totally, yeah. I mean, you, people, you know, kill themselves after the first one if they don't get the you know, knife or, like, whatever easy thing they want to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, another thing is that there has to be enough variety and the enemies have to be sort of, like, you know, either straightforward or varied enough or um, give you the practice that you want in order to make it worthwhile to do this over and over and over again. Well, especially because, like, if... One thing that I don't think gets talked about enough with a roguelike or roguelite is that... For a new player, you're going to be playing those early levels a lot because the game's still punishing. Right. So, like, if you don't know, like, okay, if in Binding of Isaac, if the room is shaped this way, that means here and here could be uh, a hidden room, and so I need to make sure to use my bomb here, and that's how I can get my extra item slot sometimes. And so, like, those sorts of things, you're not going to know unless you play a lot uh, do the research for it or watch somebody else play that game. Mm-hmm. And so there's going to be, especially like if you're just, if you just buy Binding of Isaac and boot it up, you are not going to do that your first few times through that game. And you're going to be missing out on stuff that honestly, it feels like they expect you to have by the time you get into the later levels. That's a really good point. If you want to be like very competitive against you know, uh, Satan, Isaac, you know, any of those sorts of, like, end-game bosses. Uh, spoilers, I guess, for a roguelike. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, if you want to be competitive against them, you really do have to go into most of the secret rooms, try to grab a couple of those extra power-ups, you know, the the ones that give you, um, you know, bonus damage or whatever are huge, huge helps late in the game. Um, and... There aren't that many secret rooms that have items in them, but the ones that do often carry very powerful items. Right. And so it's worth making that gamble every time. Um, But if you don't do that, you're often going to be a little bit wimpy when you get to those final bosses. Exactly. And so having those first few stages be really easy-ish even Mm -hmm. is important because – you're not going to be doing that at first. You're not. You're. No person has ever sat down to play Binding for the first time and made it past like level two, right. let alone make it all the way down to like Satan and Mom and stuff. Mm-hmm. Totally. So it's important that those early stages are replayable and interesting because you're going to be spending a lot of time on them, bashing your head against it until you start to understand the game's mechanics well enough that you can start progressing past them. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, gosh, yeah. So I, I think that um, there's a little bit of like thought that needs to go into early game design. Um, and I mean, honestly, early game design is where I think a lot of game designers spend their the a big chunk of their energy anyway. 
more than the, the third that you might expect, right? Um, yeah, because so much like you are giving you're giving to the players so many of the mechanics they're going to need to know to play the whole game. Mm-hmm. So it has to be well designed at that point. If you don't get the beginning right, it makes the rest of the game much harder to enjoy. Right. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of reasons to focus most of your energy on the early game, and then the second biggest chunk on the late, the very end game. Um, and the middle game, I know, can often be a little bit neglected in that strategy. But you've got to hook people. You've got to make the early game worth playing, and then the end game has to be satisfying. Yeah, because typically you can have the be- the middle just kind of be a continuation of the themes you set up in the beginning of the game and serve as just kind of like the journey into the end game. Sure. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, this, this topic, I think, is of interest to me, especially because I do like games like this. Um, and I have played a few that are both really good and really bad. Have you played uh, any other ones that you think do it particularly well or poorly? Hmm. It's interesting because I think that I've I've not played as many roguelikes and stuff as you have, but uh, I think Faster Than Life is a good example of like an average start. Ah, yeah. Because like it's not super punishing and unfun at the beginning, but if you again if you don't get the right stuff, you can just end up playing through those first levels a bunch of times trying to just get a setup that'll work. One of the nice things, I think, about Faster Than Light is that um, it sort of lets you decide on what build you want early on. So if you want to try, like, a stealth build or you want to try a um, you know clone build or something, you can usually get enough money to um, make to get one of those things. Uh, that's true. And that can make it sort of fun to replay those. Another thing that's nice about it is that I think most of the star... Um, journey things are truly random. It's just combat that gets more difficult. So if you're doing the truly random stuff early on, uh, you can uh, see a big, broad range of the events that are possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the exception of the um, events that only spawn in homeworlds. And homeworlds are never early game. So, anyway. Just sort of a interesting way to think about it. Yeah, yeah. I think there's enough randomness to make it worth playing over and over again yeah no i I, i've really enjoyed faster than light uh it it was one of the things like a lot for me it was one of the times where i was like i wanted to get further faster than i do did like playing through binding of isaac like binding of isaac like i enjoyed the beginning as much as any of the other stuff and i I never got super deep in binding of isaac i i don't know if i ever made it past like level four i only played the game for a little bit but like the gameplay was so smooth right from the pickup and get going that it, it wasn't a chore to get through those early stuff. Whereas like you said, you can get the money and stuff you need to get your build going, but your beginning of faster than light is okay. I want to get to this build. I've picked this ship. I have to go through these worlds and try and make it happen now. And that okay. the game kicked in for me when I could get to the build I wanted. Yeah. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. Um, I'm looking back over some of my, uh, library here and uh, games like Don't Starve that is sort of a survival roguelite sort of game mm-hmm. um, I like the early game because I think it's varied enough but eventually I do get sort of tired of you know okay build the farm plot okay build the refrigerator whatever like the stuff that you need in order to survive the winter 
Um, and I kind of want to get into the exciting late game magic stuff a little earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I found with that game was that I often was not very good at combat. And so, <laughs> so if I died um, against something that attacks your base, then I didn't have a lot of will to start over because I didn't want to have to spend another you know, four to six hours building up what I had. Right. Um, I think this whole genre of games is interesting because, I mean, you can look at, like, the kind of, like, originator of that genre in Minecraft. What's Mm. the very first thing that you're going to do every time you drop into Minecraft? Walk up to a tree and start punching it. Yeah. Like, like, you need to know that that's something you can do because it doesn't make an intuitive sense to just go and start punching a tree to start your game. So it's another one of those instances where you're probably going to need to have some kind of basic knowledge, but Minecraft is so pervasive that like everyone's pretty much seen somebody punching a tree. <laughs> sure. So it, it's interesting. I think that whole like survival genre, things like the forest, like, um, Oh God, you were just playing it. Subnautica yeah. where the introduction of the crafting mechanics a lot of times there's very little to no hand-holding and you need to either be willing to experiment and lose all of your resources and probably not really succeed until your second playthrough or spend a lot of time reading up on and watching other people playing these games. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I I think another thing that can be really positive uh, is just having an extremely strong core game loop. Mm. Uh, You know, it's... The, the game Darkest Dungeon doesn't encourage you to start over. It encourages you to just fight through hardship. You know, if all your people die, just recruit new ones, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That does mean that even if you do that, you'll be playing the early, um, like, the green missions quite a bit. And the the game loop is just strong enough, I think, to, to maintain that. Um, one time I had my whole, like, I had eight of my heroes wiped out in over two missions. And... That was bad enough that I was sort of like, I think I'm just going to start this over. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, but most of the time, it's worth doing the fight through and just work your way back up, you know? It's, just, it's interesting that these games, like, these genres of games where it's expected that you're not going to do well your first time. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, like, you know, like a story-driven game where the beginning of it is a slow build uh you know something like a legend of zelda or whatever like you aren't under real threats in that game until you're out of the beginning mm-hmm. yeah i i uh i think there's something really satisfying about being having having challenges thrown at you early on and overcoming them over the course of several losses um i think people are right now a little bit tired of the uh little bit tired of the like you're the chosen one heroes journey (laughs) and having uh you know your characters die over and over and over again you lose over and over and over again and get better and better and better and eventually be able to solve a puzzle or um you know win a battle because you just tried hard and you lost and you learned there's something really satisfying in that yeah the ability to rise up from defeat and to become better is fun i i I always used to joke with people when i uh would teach them games when i was younger and a little bit more meaner 
that the best way to learn is just get your butt kicked over and over. And <laughs> but there's some truth to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why people really like the Dark Souls game. Yeah, uh, which are, are not, um, you know, roguelikes in, in any stretch of the imagination, but you have to learn something new to, to beat each boss, right? Yeah. Yeah. And a mistake is punished heavily. Right. Um, yeah. So, uh, anything else you want to say about this topic? I, I just think it's interesting to talk over, talk about the idea of how does the beginning of a game set up the rest of it? And in the instance like this, what we were talking about, where you have to replay that beginning over and over, it, it seems like it's really, really important <laughs> that <laughs> designers put a lot of effort into those early levels. Yeah, in, in a narrative-based game, I'm often more willing to forgive weak starts if I know I'm going to be getting to something great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think of uh, most of the games that I really, truly cherish had strong beginnings. You know, I think... Uh, the attack on Narsh in um, Final Fantasy VI, and I think the um, Millennial Fair in Chrono Trigger are like two classic, like, iconic beginnings to uh, RPGs. Mm-hmm. But on, on other ones, uh, games that I've enjoyed but maybe haven't been like central to my gaming experience, um, I think uh, it's okay to have a slightly weaker beginning if you have a really strong narrative coming up in a game sure. that you're going to have to play over and over again, like a roguelike. Uh, no, you need it to be good from the game. Yeah, because <laughs> you're going to be there a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cool. So uh, if you want to talk to us about uh, any of these topics, about the you know games that did this well, games that did this poorly, um, go ahead and reach out to us on playing uh, underscore, at playing underscore rough uh, on Twitter. Uh, hit us up on Facebook, on um, Instagram, or you can uh, check us out on Patreon, where we have a series of 25 things to add to your tabletop gaming uh, articles coming up every week. Um, with that, I have been John. And I have been David. Take care, everybody. Bye. You know it would be a really fun topic to do at some point? Hmm. Uh, how endings can affect your enjoyment of a game. I think that's a wonderful idea, and maybe we should just do it next week. I think that we should. Because like, I was just thinking of you talking about how like you can forgive certain narrative fallings for making uh, it, but still enjoy whatever to it. A, obviously, Mass Effect jumps out. But um, there was a game on PlayStation 2 called Radiata uh, Stories or Histories. Yes. And its ending was terrible. <laughs> was it really? I never got that far. Uh, it was an amazing game. I absolutely adored it. And at least, th- like, there's a key moment in the game where you can decide what ending you're going to go for. And the one that I picked, like, it was, like, kind of like the happy ending. And, like, people, everybody, like, walked off. But it was, like, two minutes long. And it was, <laughs> like, the hero and the heroine walk off together. And, like, that was it. And it was, like, really? After all this? Uh, so, yeah. Like, I still love that game. But... It, its ending was kind of a letdown. And I think that video games in general don't do strong endings well. You know, uh, th- there's a little bit of psychological uh, research that shows that if something ends positively, even if you didn't like all of it, like if you didn't like the beginning or the middle or whatever, um, that you will have long-term positive memories of it. And if something ends um, unhappily or in a way that's unsatisfying, that you'll have long, less longer-term positive memories of it, even if you enjoyed everything else about it. So, like, if you had, like, a really nice birthday party, and then, I don't know, somebody came in and made a, a fuss at the end of the party, um, that's going to be remembered as a bad memory. 
Whereas if you had like a really difficult uh, birthday party that, you know, wasn't fun, nobody showed up early on, but then like in the last hour, a bunch of people showed up and had a, you had a really good time, that's going to be remembered as a good memory. And I think that that probably applies here. Yeah. Um, I, for example, I was slightly disappointed with a couple of the choices that Obsidian made in ending the Outer Worlds, which I'll be happy to explain next week. Mm. Um, overall, I think the game was great. I think it had some really interesting endings, but uh, I think that, uh, spoiler for next week, um, they sort of wanted to show that uh, the, the endings had a gray areas no matter what you did. And so they took this sort of cheap route where if you made what seemed like the best choice in-game... Um, they would be like, surprise, sucker. It wasn't as good as you thought. And sometimes, <laughs> and sometimes the ending um, was like, well, how did that follow? How was I supposed to guess that you'd give me a bad ending um, from what you told me in game, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm sort of curious, and I want to sort of talk about that next week. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with that 100%. All right. That'll be fun next week then. Yes. All right. So he, you heard it here first, folks. Uh, with that, I've been John. And I've been David. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. All right, we're out. <laughs>